Sanctify us by your truth, and your word is truth. Amen. I placed into your pews there a coloring sheet, and some of you like to doodle or color, or you could take it home and color it at home. Because our life should be full of color. Our life should be full of life. All of God's creation is full of life and color. And it's good for us to be colorful as well. And maybe you like to doodle, and maybe you like to color, and maybe you even like to do it in your Bible study time. In fact, there's some Bible studies that are geared toward coloring or highlighting, or underlining, and using different colors. I was reminded of this in the recent ladies' Bible study we've been doing, in a study of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. We've been looking at this workbook that was written by Jen Wilkin. We've been going through it, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, for over a year now, and I really have appreciated the study. One of the things that Jen Wilkins' Bible study does is it has you highlight, underline, look for key words, repeated words in different colors. So you can see those patterns standing out and indicating certain words that are used repeatedly and are very important in 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, words like life and truth and love and faith. The approach she takes in her workbook is something called an inductive Bible study. An inductive Bible study method seeks to draw together a bunch of different things in order to arrive at a meaning of a passage. It's in contrast to a deductive approach. A deductive approach, on the other hand, is to take just one verse, break it down, and get to one truth from that one verse. A lot of times, a deductive approach is looking for an answer to a question that you already have, and you're looking to find a passage that will answer that question. And so many popular series in large non-denominational churches, for instance, will use this approach, which is a topical approach, and they'll give you one verse, and that one verse supports that one truth that they're teaching that day. But what that approach misses out on is what an inductive approach does, which is a broader look at Scripture, drawing together the flow, the larger context, the context within the context, and bringing together those key words that you've highlighted and colored to say, the writer and author and the Holy Spirit are trying to get after something here. She writes in her introduction to the study, The Bible is not a book about self-discovery. It is a book about God-discovery. The Bible is God's declared intent to make himself known to us. In learning about the character of God in Scripture, we will experience self-discovery, but it must not be the focus of our study. The focus must be God himself. The focus changes the way we study. We first look at what a passage can teach us about the character of God, allowing self-discovery to be the byproduct of God-discovery. This is a much better approach because there can be no true knowledge of self apart from the knowledge of God. 
So when I read the account of Jonah, I see first that God is just and faithful to his word. He is faithful to proclaim his message to Nineveh no matter what. I see that second, by contrast, and much like Jonah, I am unjust to my fellow man and unfaithful to God's word. Thus, knowledge of God leads to a true knowledge of self, which leads to repentance and transformation. This is what Paul meant when he wrote that we are transformed by the renewing of our minds. The title of our study that the ladies have been going through is Abide. And that word abide captures that inductive method of bringing together all of the message that God is saying, his truth about himself, before we even get into the picture. Actually, study is not even really the proper word. In the total sense, it's more than that. Study implies we're going to do something to the word. We're going to get something out of it. Abide says that the word is going to do something to us. By abiding, we are thinking about just being in the word, being immersed in it, being with it, surrounded by it, and coming to life from all that it's providing for us. It could be compared to a grapevine. We're just getting into the spring season now, and we can see how the buds are beginning to form, and probably in your yard there's notice of those trees, bushes, plants just coming in. I just planted seeds in the garden last week, and I've been watching every day I walk past wondering when I'm going to see those first green sprouts come up through the black soil. But I don't see them quite yet, and for those plants to actually grow and become mature and to bring forth fruit, it's going to take months, not just days. For a grapevine, even more so, because a grapevine, once planted, takes years to mature to a good crop of grapes. Jesus uses the image of a grapevine in John chapter 15. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. This is a startling statement. Apart from me, you can do nothing. That really strikes us. It means that for all we might think we could accomplish, for all that we could get done in one day's time. If Jesus is not part of it, we are ultimately doing nothing. Apart from him, we can do nothing. We can produce no good, lasting, productive results. The results instead come from abiding in him, which means that the life of discipleship is an ongoing process, an ongoing thing, an abiding event, something that takes time. And we have to be aware of this so we don't lose heart, so we don't lose courage, so we're not deceived into thinking we can manufacture changes quickly. 
by our own smarts, our own willpower, our own strength, our own vision. Instead, it has to be done to us, infused into us, flowing through us. Abide in me and I in you, Jesus says. Abiding is the key. Abiding is everything. It's perhaps the clearest and most fundamental description of what it really means to have a spiritual life. It's to abide. To abide in Jesus and keep on abiding because in Jesus you find everything you need to grow. But knowing that Jesus is a vine and we are the branches, it's not going to happen overnight. Don't expect it to be easy. You can't just buy a new Bible study workbook and think that's going to change everything. Abiding means that Jesus is going to supply what you need over time before the fruit will come. And he says he's not just a vine, but he's the vine. And he's not just the vine, but he says, I am the true vine. This means that there are other vines. There are false vines. Vines that represent sources of life and happiness and self-improvement, but they are not true. They are not real. They are not genuinely life-giving. Only Jesus is. So you must get closer to him. Know him more and more as your personal Savior, the Lord of your life. And then he'll begin his work of abiding in you as well. He says in chapter 15, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. The branches that do not bear fruit are false Christians. It is someone who appears to be part of the vine, to be attached to Jesus in some way, but which is empty, devoid of life, unfruitful. It is withering and fading. Being in Jesus is not the same here in this context as abiding in Jesus. They're attached, but there's no life. Jesus is really alluding to the unfaithfulness of Israel. When you look back at the Old Testament, you see this image brought up, the image of the vine. In the book of Isaiah, this picture of the vine is used. And Isaiah speaks of how Israel has been like a vine and God has been the vine dresser. Isaiah chapter 5. Isaiah sings a song. A song of someone he loves who keeps a vineyard. And he pictures God as this beloved friend of his that has a vineyard on a hill. A beautiful hill. A place where you would want to go have vacation time. A beautiful hill, a vineyard, a fertile place. And he dug it, and he cleared it of stones, and he planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it. He hewed out a wine vat. He looked for it to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there to do for my vineyard than I have not done in it? When I looked for it to yield grapes, why did it yield wild grapes? 
The Lord asked the question, what more could I have done for my people? He did it all. He prepared it all. He worked and labored for centuries. But the vineyard did not produce good grapes. Instead, it rebelled against his design. Unlike the vineyards in Eden, these vines produce something else, something wild, sour, bad grapes. And so the Lord removes its hedge. He takes away the protection, and he says that it's trampled under feet. So the Lord plants a new vineyard, and Jesus is the vine, and the Father is the vine dresser. The Father tends to Jesus as his beloved, and Jesus is full of life. Jesus is full of joy. Jesus is the full of the fruits that Israel and all of us have not produced on our own. He says, I am the vine which means that the Lord God himself, I am the God of the Exodus, the transcendent reality that never changes, is mysterious, is eternal, always keeps his promises, and is present right now in Jesus, is giving life to the world. By abiding in him, we abide in the life of God, the eternal, unchanging life and strength that produces something we could not produce, good fruit. But this doesn't mean that we are perfected. Instead, it says that we are still growing. With that growth comes the need for God to tend to us. Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. He sees that we are growing. Yes, we are growing. But we're in need of correction. We're in need of times where he cuts things back, where he takes things away, where there's admonition and discipline. And that's how the growing increases more. When we abide in Jesus, we begin to notice things we haven't noticed before. We see how these events that we thought in our lives were just random or they were unfair or they were whatever has a work of God in it. God is the vine dresser, which means that he's tending to the vineyard. He's tending to these branches in every event and every exchange that we go through in our lives. The good, the bad, the ugly. He prunes us. He sees the places where we need discipline, we need correction, and he begins trimming. And if we abide in Jesus, we can see that. Maybe not at first, but it comes to discern God's work in the vineyard, dressing us, pruning us. Every moment, no matter how upsetting or difficult or painful, is part of God's vine dressing. And when we discern his hand, his gardening hand, we find that there is something good, something delightful, something that blesses us in it. That's what Jesus knows. He says this at the end. These things I have spoken so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Jesus' joy is to discern the Father's will in everything. 
to see the Father's hand, he finds joy every day, even in the worst, most painful, and darkest of times when he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane and he's praying and he's sweating and he's ready to give up. He's asking that it would just be taken away. He knows he's going to be betrayed. He's going to be slandered. He's going to be sentenced to the worst of deaths. And his father is going to let that happen. But Jesus knows that he needs to be pruned for us in this work of God is salvation. This is his love. This is his love that we now abide in so that his commandments mean something new to us. If you keep my commandments, he said, you will abide in my love. This is the design of faith, that all that comes from God, these aren't a list of rules or ways to improve yourself, but they are all ways of love. His commandments are a source of joy. But we must die to ourselves and give up on our own plans for doing things, our own willpower to accomplish them the right way. Instead, let Jesus work through us. And that's really what the life of prayer is all about. Jesus says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is what prayer is all about. It's about abiding in Jesus and his word abiding in us. Prayer is the life of the vine flowing through us, fed by the word. And these are not just words, but it is the word. It is an inductive word that comes through many, many words of scripture, but brings us to the word, the truth, the thing that God wants us to know. And this is what I meant by the inductive method. One of the important practices in this inductive Bible study is to look at the Bible as a whole and to look at it not just once, not just in chunks, but to go back again and again to read a whole book of the Bible together. As you do this, as you repeat this, as you continue to practice this, you begin to see the patterns, the things highlighted, the colors coming out you get caught up in the conversation. God is having a conversation with the world and with you. And prayer is then our way of participating in it. When the word abides in us, the prayers happen. Even when we're not expecting it or we don't even, aren't even fully aware of how the word is shaping us. The word brings forth prayers that ask things according to God's will for our spiritual benefit. It's what it means to have the sun and the soil and the nutrients and the protection that God provides in every way lead to growth so that your joy would be full. Now, there will be times of winter and there will be times of spring. In Christ, we see the blackness of his death, the blackness of the soil where the seed is planted in the tomb. And we all have times of darkness, suffering, even unbelief. But the seeds are planted, and now we are the family of God waiting together to see the buds in each other's lives, to see the fruit, 
come forth that God is working to produce. And in order to promote that, we have to know the importance, not just the importance, but the necessity of abiding in his word all the time, going back to it, living in it, seeing it speak. In him we have redemption, forgiveness, not just as information from the words on the page that we get when we need it, but as God personally speaking grace and peace and forgiveness to you. New buds, new branches. It takes time, months, years, for a vine to develop. Don't try to do this on your own. Live your life of discipleship by induction, counting on all of the people around you, all of the resources that the church is offering to you. Take full advantage of them. When we get back to Sunday school, when we get back to our Bible class, when we get back to our groups, take advantage of those things. That's what it means to abide. Ephesians chapter 2. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, his masterpiece, created by God beforehand that we should walk in them. Amen.